32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. Oh, wow, she took us. <laughs> Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. And guess what? That's actually what we're doing this week. Oh, um, absolutely. So delighted to get back to county life. This week's county is Wicklow. And this, and this week's question is... <laughs> what happened to those people who lived in the trees? Oh, um, that's a very obtuse way of putting something that you'll have you're going to find out about later. You'll later, have to, to find out what it's about. But before that, Patreon is in the house. We've got some new tiers. We've got some new rewards. We've got some new joy. So get to it. Get over there and give us uh, a little bit of support. It would be fab. Um, but also, like we've we we've been kind of. If you know myself and Una, we're not very like, we have to be the best. We have to be this. We have to be top of the charts. We have to, we're not ego driven with our content. We want to make nice content and good content. However, like maybe we should try and reach out and start maybe asking for reviews again and asking you to, if you can, leave us a little five star if you're digging the content because I think it's, shit is getting serious now with the new Patreon tiers. We're taking a new turn. We're back to counties. We're back in biz. Cool, yeah. <laughs> cool. And also, if you do sign up on Patreon, you get access to our Sunday Soothe, which is our take on Instagram quotes, bringing meaning back to them um, and making them and just really having a bit of a pensive moment and a calming moment and really reflecting on where we are in our lives, in society, in the world and making it all feel a bit better on a Sunday so you don't get the Sunday fear and you're ready to take on the week ahead. You're welcome. But now, it's the state of the nation. Andrea, what's the state of the nation? Oh my God, this nation is in an absolute state. The fucking shenanigans. Where do we even start? Um, We won't start with the obvious one. We'll actually start with the most recent piece that's going down, which is all this off-license nonsense. Um... So there's a conversation on the table that uh, off licenses should close because if restaurants and pubs are closed um, and we're going and alcohol is not a friend or what was the quote? The virus loves alcohol, loves the virus, virus loves alcohol. Anyway, uh, the virus likes to party. So to combat that, um, they're suggesting that the off license just close. Now, there's so many reasons why this is bananas. A, because people who are addicted. B, because it won't make a difference because people will stockpile. Do we remember how Good Friday works in Ireland? Um, but also, C, the Restaurant Association have come out and said, we are fully behind this. And it's like, wow, if we're going down, you're going down too. How absolute scabby. But also... We live in a world where we should all be having the communal good for each other at our core, not who can step on each other to get our business to be better. So that was a really disappointing move, I thought, from the Restaurant Association of Ireland. And I really feel that stopping people having their after dinner aperitif, as it will be, uh, is probably not going to be the solution to stopping the virus. And if people want to drink, they will drink. They'll find ways around it. There's workarounds. And the people who are who are having these parties will continue having these parties because we all know where there's a will, there's a way. So it's just stopping, uh, biz- holding businesses back for no apparent reason. Appeal to people to not mix, not to not drink. 
Yeah. And what, like, it's, it's so impractical and I get, but I guess when there's been such a massive platform, um, been given to and, and, and access to the Vintners Federation, um, and publicans and so on. And obviously, you know, we're big supporters of the Irish pub and that businesses and, and pubs in general and how difficult year, uh, what a difficult year that they've had. But there is this constant rhetoric from more representative bodies, let's say, who may not necessarily be representative of the wider uh, pub landscape with regards to off licenses being such massive uh, business competition. But, you know, what are you going to do? Close every Tesco in Ireland? I mean, it's just not going to happen. Um, what is happening is Operation Fanacht. Fanacht, of course, being the Irish word for... Stay. Stay. Or wait, kind of stay and wait, yeah. Fanacht, um, oh yes, stay at home. Yeah. Um, oh my God, Gwelgor Gum. Tá Gwelga agat, Andrea. Now, tailback... A go-go, especially around Dublin and commuter ta- uh, counties. I don't have a car and I can't drive. So this was I not relevant to me. To an amazing interview with a man that I'm now obsessed with. He was the assistant guard commissioner, Pat Leahy, um, and he was on Clareburn the other day. And I have to say, he's a man of sense. And I instantly fell in love with him listening to him. But he was given the, the backlog or the, well, it was backlog, but he was given the what he thought, his thoughts on Operation Fanuc. And as it makes total sense, we're asking you to not cross the counties. We have no laws to do that. So we're actually going to just put checkpoints in to actually make it not attractive if it takes much longer. It, like it, it makes sense. Obviously, there's a, there's a question around like, is this what we should be spending our time doing, etc.? Is stopping crossings into different counties going to stop the virus etc but like if you're not going to take extra powers um and to just create a message it's a good calm strategy to tell people to actually like just stick by the rails it's going to be a pain in the hole if you don't true what else has been going on in the political sphere uh this is not news, but it was just one of the most Irish interactions in politics I've ever seen in my life. And I just can't get enough of it. It's so ridiculous. And there's obviously bigger questions behind it. And I'm not minimizing the fact that our health, that you have to get on a bus for healthcare. Um, and maybe we should look at our health system, etc. But just the interaction between Micheál Martin and Healy Ray uh, was just one of the most wonderful, actually, um, portrayals of Irish politics and its ridiculousness and Michal's little snide little smiles and laughter and and Healy Ray losing his absolute shit it would like I'd recommend everyone to look at it it's not going to make you feel confident about the Irish politics system but it will (laughs) in fact brighten your day just for the entertainment value and like I hate turning politics to entertainment but it's not my fault if they're going to go on like that I was reliably informed through the chair that Deputy Healy Ray approached people outside a mess to say well, I can get you on the bus if you want a cataract the, 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 the woman concerned said, you should take that back you're a disgrace you're only in the bottom of the barrel now could we open that doctor's statement and cop on a small bit Tisha could I, could I just deal in terms of I relax relax, relax. Uh, next up was now this is this is the juice but we've been waiting for uh we had a, a press conference on monday after the leaked uh letter from neffet um on sunday had the the place in a panic um and Miho martin did a presser after it was announced what well he just did a speech he didn't take yeah. any questions well, yeah 
and then ran, and everyone ran off. But he did his speech. But at the same time, and I was kind of like, remember when the big speeches were being done in America and the green lights and we were all like on the edge of our seat like it was the day after tomorrow. And it was like the, the country was waiting for, for that nine o'clock speech and we all watched and we all talked about it. And just as our new Taoiseach was doing that, the ex-Taoiseach slash Taunashta was taking up his podium on Clareburn um, to literally throw everyone under the bus who was giving advice. All our advice givers to the government were getting it, especially um, he was really playing the man, I suppose, and not the game. Um, but whilst he was throwing uh, Tony under the bus, um, he was also taking um, hits as being the pioneer of mental health. And do you know that actually poverty is the biggest effect of mental health, Claire? Really, Leo? Wow, that's... I can't believe you've been so in tune with this mental health issue we've been had going on due to poverty that your uh, your policies have instilled in the country. It was one of the most snide and, like, violent appearances ever. And I, like, I really do try my best to like everyone. And I just can't get over that appearance. And... It just was just so violent. But I think it's like massively backfiring now. I mean, I was going to write something about it the next day, but I was like, do you know what? I think everybody realizes what happened there. And, you know, there's no point in, I don't take any pleasure in pointing out when Leo Varadkar goes too far and positions himself in a way that I think he feels like is strategic politically but this was is my, you, so so far beyond that gone? what's actually going on so um yeah i think uh it was a really um it was a low moment for him and um the last thing we need uh is this kind of spat nonsense happening and of course now we realize that tony holohan had actually spoken to stephen donnelly who had spoken to Michal martin and um the other senior staff in government uh, with regards to what Neffet were were warning about, so <laughs> uh, this idea that there was no prior consultation with government that Leo Rocker insisted on or just said on Monday, um, that doesn't seem to be the case. So Leo Rocker is going to wear that performance, that appearance, and that decision uh, that he emphatically made, and we'll see what happens. But also, what I found very odd about it all was that he was like, "No, they haven't thought this advice through." Um, and then the next day during the parliamentary meeting was literally like, yeah, there's n there's a high chance we're going to have to take a circuit break, which is obviously another word for level five. Um, so it just was all, you're throwing someone under the bus for advice on this day. Then you're going back and saying, taking their advice and saying, we're probably going to have to do it. It's like scarlet for your mouth. Um, but also Scarlett for your ma for Stephen Donnelly, who is only releasing a statement uh, after we record this podcast um, about what happened in the timelines and who he talked to and all that jazz. And somebody I was did a doorstep. I can't remember who it was, but they were like, look, the greater public don't give a shit about who said what and when and blah, blah, blah. They just want to know what the story is and can we get our shit in line, which I thought was very uh, poignant. But also at the same time as this was all happening, Stephen Donnelly then releases this shit show of a PR video going... Uh, here's how great I've been in my 100 days as a health 
person. I've launched the app. I've done this and I'm only getting started. Oh, fuck. We're all fucks now, Stephen. <laughs> timing. Really, this government and timing. Just not mwah. Even, not even their timing. Their obsession with PR. It's like you're drowning in your own PR at this stage. Like maybe think about the actions rather than putting out a, a fucking PR video. Um, It's in bits. I don't think a video is going to save you now. But no. leading this shit show will. Um, a very important bill uh, was going through the doll this week. Yes, uh, Gino from People Before Profit, along with Breed Smith, brought the Dying with Dignity bill and worked very strongly with Vicky Phelan um, to bring this across the line. And he's been working on it for a long time. And there was an amendment from the government um, that would have delayed the bill by another 12 months, which was shot down, which was brilliant because there was a vote of conscience. Um, and it, when they voted on the actual bill to move to committee stage, it uh it got the thaw, which was brilliant. Um, and we will be very hopeful about that. But what was also very hopeful was when you looked at the vote of conscience of how people voted. It was like, oh, if only all these people could form a government. Um, and I know there's only 67 and we need another 13, but we've 13 more hopes to get that gorgeous government of progress, of change and uh, and soundness, really. Is it, can we call it the government of soundness? Well, I'm sure they'll call themselves the government of scientists whenever they, they form in the next few years. Um, but uh, uh, something else that happened this week was the, the more polling out with regards to how the parties are doing. And Kel Supri's, uh Green Party support has been decimated. Um, Eamon Ryan uh, took the biggest plunge in terms of uh support as leader and in particular support has fallen amongst Dublin voters and younger people, which is the base that brought green, the Green Party um, the glut of seats that they got uh, in springtime. So, you know, obviously everybody calls that when you go into government with people who are, you know, pretty much uh, opposed to the vast majority of, of your policies and of course, there's been loads of tension in the Green Party with regards to them having a social justice element to it and a just transition element to it, which is really, really essential uh, to live in the real world along with the very, very necessary environmental um, protections and and legislation that needs to combat the ecological and climate disaster that we find ourselves in. But when you don't have uh, an ancillary um human-focused social justice aspect to your policies, which the vast majority of your base would also get along with, this is what happens. And when you go into bed with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, as the Green Party found out previously with Fianna Fáil, this is what happens. So whether they can rescue themselves or not, who knows? I don't think... Will there be anyone left in the Green Party? There's not a day that goes by that there's not an announcement. I'm leaving the Green Party today. I'm leaving the Green Party today. Oh God, I wasn't even in the Green Party and I feel like I should leave. And (laughs) the same as like when when everyone was joining the social Democrats. I'm joining the Social Everyone's joining the Social Democrats. Everyone's leaving the Green Party. There'll be no one left. But you know what? Another thing that brought this, the vote of conscience brought up again for me, and I, I've spoken about this before. It's so bananas that our government is led by someone telling you how you have to vote. It feels so anti-democratic. And when you look at how people actually want to vote, they don't want to vote your scabby way. So maybe it's uh, something that needs to be reformed. And maybe it's just your, your... I'm bringing a bill. Let's get rid of the scabby <laughs> way of doing democracy in the government. This is your long-standing opposition to the whip system, uh, which you are seeking to dismantle from day one. It just is so outrageously bananas that we all kind of think it's okay to like force people to vote against how they believe. 
Mm. Um, speaking of uh, forcing people to believe certain things, uh, our bonus episode this week is with the brilliant Aoife Gallagher, uh, who is an excellent analyst on all things um, disinformation and conspiracy. And uh, she's talking about what the massive move that Facebook made this week to try and tackle QAnon. Bit late, Zuck. But um, that has happened and we have a little bonus episode with Aoife if you want to check that out. But now, remarkably, finally, we are going to a county and it's the return of Andrea's award-winning, I gave her an award, (laughs) County Facts. Yes, let's do it. It's the Wicklow Facts. Now... The county is Wicklow. Herein lies the facts. Wicklow is known as the Garden of Ireland. Why? I think it's pretty obvious. Every day of my drive through Wicklow now that I, now that I'm a country liver, uh, have I mentioned that before? Uh, get ready for my avant look. Um, the green, green grass of home really does incite such joy. Um, and you can see why it's the Garden of Ireland. Um, it derives its name from the Old Norse name, Vigengalo, which means Viking's Meadow, which is very beautiful um, and doesn't paint a picture of raping and pillaging that the Vikings were actually known for. It's a population of 142,332, now 142,333 with me. Um, and from 2011 to 2016, the population of the county grew by 4.2%. Now, I would imagine if I was a betting woman that since that census um, from 2016 to 2020, there's going to be a much bigger uh, growth because all the commuter towns and people are leaving Dublin a bit more and it's stunning and it's much more easy to access. So I'm really excited for the next census, let me tell you. Uh, the biggest art heist happened in Ireland in Rusborough House, um, which was owned by the Bites. And I would recommend everyone to go to Rusborough House and do the tour. The Bites sound like the absolute crack. They're this couple who are a party-loving couple, um, always having little sashes in their gaff and had no kids and spent their time traveling and exploring and going off and you can see all the like before when cinema they were really rich so they have all these like films from going to Africa and exploring all these places they're just fascinating but um they were victims of four artists and the biggest one uh, happened to have 18 paintings stolen including a Vermeer and a Goya um, and they were stolen by a gang of Dublin criminals led by Martin Cahill the the artworks were recovered and they're now in the National Gallery so you can see them but also in Rusford there's loads and loads of art that they owned and that they donated to um, to Ireland they were they were so sound so I would highly recommend a little Rusford house tour and the interiors is absolutely stunning um, the county is home to many film productions and houses Ardmore Studios in Bray, where Bally Angel, do you remember that, was filmed? And also In the Name of the Father, um, a very seminal film. But also a- another seminal film was scenes from the movie P.S. I Love You were shot in the Wicklow Mountains National Park, um, which A, is one of the best films for when you are in the rain it's a Sunday night you finish listening to the Sunday Soothe and you just want to feel like you've had a hug from a film 
um, and also heard the worst Irish accents in the world apart from far and away. But also the Wicklow Mountains National Park is the largest of the six Irish national parks. Um, Wicklow is home to the country's highest waterfall, hey to Paris Court. Um, it is also home to Avoca Handweavers, which is one of the oldest manufacturing companies in the world. And their mill on the water is uh, the oldest in the world, I think. Um, but also that brings me back to the question that I'm also, another thing that I'm always fascinated about is why we don't have production of fabric in Ireland and how everything is created in Ireland, but produced in Spain or Portugal or Italy and I just wish we could bring that back. And there's a big old Fruit of the Loom factory um, up in Donegal and they have all the um, machines and everything. I'd love if someone would just bring back production to Ireland. Um, Shout out to everyone who is actually doing textile production in Ireland. We love you. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? I'm not. Yeah. I want like massive, massive linen factories and gorgeous giant tweed and yeah, fucking like, lace. Yeah, there is Foxford and all, like there is loads of people who are doing it, but we, it would be great if we had a full industry that would yeah. report. Um, the Arch Granite Gateway to the monastic city of Glendalough is the last remaining structure of its kind in all of Ireland. Love Glendalough. It's so fab. Um, and finally, the last fact of the day, Blessington Lakes. Uh, the official title of the active reservoir in the West County Wicklow is Pulafuca. And Pulafuca means the Puka's Hole or the Ghost's Hole, um, which is, I think, gas. Um, but it is also one of the two main supplies for Dublin's water. And it is great mm -hmm. to go kayaking on. Um, I would like to add to your facts, uh, if, if that's okay. Before um, I, can I just say that Pulafuca is actually, they flooded the town. So when you're, when you're kayaking, you can touch off like a church steeple or something because it's like a full town underneath. Matt? Um, one of the things that I find really interesting about Wicklow is that it has loads of like witchy vibes and magic stuff and loads of, it's very idiosyncratic county. I think I probably know... Um, Am I, would I be like as familiar almost with Wicklow as I am with Dublin? Just because when you, you like, I grew up on the south side and Wicklow is always where you went the weekend for a walk in the forest or a picnic or whatever. Cause it was just like drive to Wicklow. It's free, run around, you're a child. That's what we did all the time. But like some of the, I was thinking of Wicklow a lot um, today about all of the, the things that are just so unusual um, in the county, like one of my favourite things in Ireland, Victor's Way, which is the sculpture park in Wicklow, which is bizarre and amazing. Like the entrance what to it is, it's a sculpture park um, made by this dude. Um, it The sculptures are <laughs> quite compelling. Like the entrance to the park is a sculpture tunnel of a vagina dentata which is a vagina with teeth oh. and de dedicated to Alan Turing um, there are various Ganesh type figures interspersed with technology dancing mice listening to walkmen how have I the never been here there is a fasting Buddha, which is this massive statue of a Buddha who's completely emaciated. And one of my favorite ones is a gigantic sculpture of an upraised middle finger. 
And on the fingernail, it has engraved on it, create or die. So uh, this sounds like the most magical place in the world. It's it's wild. Really? That's mad. It's near Rainwood. Yeah. Check it out. I go to the um, event. That's it. Other th- oh, yeah, you have to go. Um, other... If you want to go, if you live in Wicklow, obviously we'll have to stay in our counties. If you do live in Wicklow, um, I think they were got quite popular during lockdown. It's kind of a weird kind of cult attraction. And um, so you do have to book online now. I think it's about a tenner to go in and no children uh, are allowed. Even better. <laughs> Some of the sculptures are quite uh, explicit. They're quite intense. So not really a, a place for kids. Um, the Hellfire Club, another Ooh, sound vibes. Obviously, you meant Paris Court, Waterfall, Paris Court, House, Paris Court Gardens, the National Botanic Gardens in Wicklow, Lugala, the Guinness Lake, Hosier, um, the Forest Prince himself, the Happy Pear Twins and their Sunset Swims, the Sugarloaf, Glenda Lock, Kilmacurra House, the Howard Mausoleum Pyramid, which is a, a, a concrete pyramid where a family is buried, British Bay, of course, where I spent many a sunny weekend as a child and also where St. Patrick landed, apparently. Wicklow Jail, haunted. And I just see, uh, Andrea, that you have added to this document the Avon. Um, <laughs> I've, just looked ne- up, I've just looked up Victor's Way on uh, the internet. Uh, yeah. It says that it's designed for adults between 28 and 60. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> wow. a nice age bracket. Yeah, I mean, that just gives you an indication of how idiosyncratic uh, this place is. Okay, for now, though, we're going to go to our county rep. Uh, this is a long-awaited appearance on the podcast. Andrea has finally got her way and her wish. Woo! This like, week's... When we decided it was Wicklow, I was literally like the first thing I said, okay, I don't care what we're doing. Our county rep has to be Simon Harris. It's, it's Simon Harris. <laughs> Hi, my name is Simon Harris, Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science, TD for Wicklow, and most importantly, proud resident of Wicklow. So yeah, I, I, I really do love County Wicklow. I'm a, a little bit biased about it. I've lived there all my life uh, since my parents, both dubs, uh, moved there just before I was born. Um, it's a really great county. I think I think you kind of have the best of both worlds. Um, certainly where I live in County Wicklow, in Greystones, you're close enough to the capital city you can commute into work in Dublin, but you don't live in Dublin. You get the benefit of being able to come home and live by the sea and the mountains. And indeed, in many parts of Wicklow, you can drive 10 minutes one direction and be back in kind of Dublin and drive 10 minutes the other direction and be in the middle of the countryside. For me, um, I really love the cliff walk uh, from Bray to Greystones. I always find that's a really good place to, to clear your head. So you get an awful lot of visitors at the weekend. So it's one of those places that's maybe best to do uh, early morning. Um, but a really beautiful walk. A lot of people walk it one way, maybe have a bite to eat when they get to the other end and then get the dart and the, and the dart back in. Also, another another little gem where I like to go to, to clear my head is the beach in Kilcool. And I'm not sure I want to publicise this because one of the things I really like about it is the fact that it's so often very quiet. It's a real nice stony beach and you can just walk for, for a couple of miles actually and uh, have the benefit of the sea air and... Uh, really, really very, very nice place. We obviously have a lot of other well-known places throughout the county, places like Glendalough and uh, the Greenway in Blessington, um, Wicklow Jail. So it's a really beautiful county. It's a very diverse county. And I think one of the great things about it is you have both the mountains and the sea. 
Um, you know, a lot of counties have both. We're very proud of the fact, uh, or a lot of counties rather have one, and we're very proud of the fact uh, that we have both. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lovely county. Those who work with me, I often drive them mad by talking about how great Wicklow and particularly Greystones is. I even have that mug that says uh, I'd rather be in Greystones, and that kind of sums up my attitude. I'm, I'm always happiest uh, when I'm in Wicklow, which is uh, a place I'm very proud to call home. So in 1997, a group of environmental activists occupied a section of the Glen of the Downs in Wicklow and they were protesting the widening of the road uh, along the N11 that would have seen the felling of around 1,700 mature broadleaf trees and some um, younger trees as well between Kilmechanic and Kilpether. As a teenager, when my family would drive to Wicklow for aforementioned picnics at the weekend, this section of the journey was really magical to me. I would look out the car window and try and spot people in the trees and around the encampment, but I had no idea how to access what was going on there and only had kind of a cursory knowledge of what they were protesting. It was a landmark protest that lasted for two years, ending in a lengthy hearing in the High Court when the protesters were eventually directed to leave and the trees were felled and the road was built. The initial protest actually went back to 1989, but this late 90s protest is the one that's most remembered. When we were talking about, you know, Wicklow and going back to our counties as we are this week, you know, we we're also, I was kind of thinking like sometimes it's as important to go back as it is to focus on the current news cycles. So in this episode, we're remembering the importance of that protest with one of the people who was involved. Hello, Dahi. Good Una. <laughs> Um, thanks a million for taking the time to to kind of go on this little um, trip back to the past with us. Can you take us back to that time? Like, do you remember when you first heard what was going on in the area? Was it a lot? Was there a lot of kind of discourse in Wicklow about it? Um, I remember. I remember I was in a youth theatre in Bray, and somebody put up a poster asking for. Um, sleeping bags, warm coats, whatever, tin food, whatever people wanted to donate. And I think that might have been the first uh, I heard of the occupation. And then I went up for a visit. And for me, it kind of, it just hurtled on. I went for a visit and I think maybe two days later, I was full time there. Um, So I I wasn't aware of like, the wider conversation in the county at the time, there was no social media. So um, it was more direct involvement, I suppose, that tuned me into us. And when you went up there for a visit, you know, mm-hmm. what what was the scene like? What was the vibe like? Um, it's kind of amazing, I suppose, because there were people from everywhere. Um, it was very, it felt very busy. Um, I felt very shy initially. Um, but it was a very open and welcoming place. I guess part of the campaign is actually um, welcoming people, inviting people, talking to people about the objectives and also showcasing the beauty, the natural beauty of that place. So I think there were lots of talking points um, around the road widening project, but there was also the other side, which was, um, I suppose, tuning to people's imagination that kind of gets fostered when you go into the forest like that and spend time there. And I think that was, I think we, the effect of that campaign had a lot to do with how it, it touched on people's imagination in Ireland at the time. I suppose we're hitting Celtic Tiger time 
the culture was changing, things were going faster. And this was like a, almost like just a pause, asking people to take pause um, and not see nature as something as, as merely just a passageway to another place, but actually a place in and of itself that has value and is worth kind of immersing yourself in. Hmm. I was, ne- I never saw the protests or I was never in the area. Like how many people were there and how were people, what were people living there? How did it work? Was it a community? What was going on? Yeah, it was, um, I suppose there would be a, a core crew that from which would kind of swell and retract because it attracted a lot of transient people too, who were passing through Ireland or traveling around Ireland um, who came from similar campaigns in other places and uh, wanted to kind of forge connections. So there's, there, there've been already strongly established um, anti-roads protest campaigns in the UK. A lot of people came over from that. So they, people come for short stints to kind of support people who were living there full time. Um, I suppose at max, maybe sometimes there were like 50 people there and people's dwellings varied from uh, benders on the ground, which were like hazel rods bent and uh, with a tarp pulled over them. And then a version of that up in the canopy, which would have been, um, I suppose, dwellings, but also defences. And they would have been strategically placed, uh, placed with rope walkways between them so that you could access parts of the canopy that were under threat and then be able to retreat should you need to. Um so there was a lot of construction going on of those kind of dwellings, depending on how many people were living there. Then there was a communal sleep space. There was a communal kitchen. And I guess we're fortunate that there was a natural well there for water. So we had a natural water source there uh, near the kitchen. And yeah, it was kind of communal. People would kind of um, elect to take on certain tasks and other people would seek help with them. And I guess it was an experiment in cooperation there was never any talk of leaders, though natural, naturally certain personalities could come to the fore. Um, but I guess everyone kind of saw themselves as autonomous and it was all about negotiation and cooperation. It sounds like a scene from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It was just like that. <laughs> <laughs> and my tides were amazing. <laughs> what was an average day, day like, Dahi? Um, or was there an average day? I guess, so I was there for two years and over the course of that time, the needs of the campaign would vary and the amount of people there would vary. So depending on what was going on, it would vary. But I suppose when you're living like that, you sort of fall into a rhythm. So I tended to wake up when the sun came up Um and it would be a case of somebody would have done night watch the night before. So would always, there was always a presence in the camp. The fire was always kept lit. And one or at least maybe two people would stay up all night, every night, in case there were any visitors or in case there was a sudden raid by the guards or, um, anything like, or like a surprise eviction. So there was always someone to raise the alarm. So if you got up first, you might go and relieve that person's night duty and um, make a cup of coffee. <laughs> Like you would, you know, you're there, maintain the occupation, but then it's also just day to day life as well, you know. And then mm. at times when I suppose there were times when we had so many visitors that a lot of your day would be talking to people about the campaign who came who came to visit the forest. Um, 
So, and then there were times it was quieter, I suppose, in the depths of winter, for example, and there wouldn't be as much light and there wouldn't be as many visitors. Um, so I, I guess to answer your question, there wasn't really a typical day, you know. Hmm. What was the social life like of the of the 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 place? I mean, obviously there was a lot of people from different places, particularly I think England and Scotland, um, and as well as that, Wicklow has this really rooted arts uh, uh, scene, <laughs> and 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 look and. Lo- and people and places in Wicklow, there's always so much like music and visual art and stuff going on. Did that kind of come into the, the space as well? Like, was it, a, was it a social vibe as much as, as much as um, one rooted around activism? There was a lot of music. Um, I suppose when you're sitting around a fire in the dark um it's conversation, it's storytelling, it's music and it's song, and that would attract people who want to come in and share that with us. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was a no alcohol policy on site, um, which I think was really helpful. Um, but it didn't mean that people couldn't drink if they went off site or whatever. Just that it didn't become a a party location as such. But um, mm. socially, yeah, it was. Um, I haven't thought this this extensively about it for so long. I suppose. Sorry, um, it was a hive of activity because there were, like we were saying, there's people from all over. I remember these um, these three people from Galicia, uh, Oscar Tetla Romulo, and Romulo played these Galician pipes, which I'd never heard before, and that was amazing to see the kind of similarity between um, this culture from north of Spain and then piping from Ireland. You know. Um, mm. so there was lots of exchange and learning from people from all over the world. I mean, I was, I was young. So for me, all of it was new, you know? Um, and yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause so, you were, you yeah. were a teenager, right? I was. Yeah. 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 So it was all very exciting for me. Why are there mo- Go, Sorry, Andrea. Why did you get involved in the first place? Like what drew you to it? Um, I think I keep coming back to the notion of imagination. I remember watching on the news about uh, road protests in Newbury and it just really captured my imagination, this kind of um, people having this relationship and rapport with the land that they wanted to protect us. Like it, it, it was um, deserving of that kind of level of attention. And then when it happened on my own doorstep, it didn't really take much to consider. I just kind of, um, I just, like I said, I went up for the visit and it ended up being there for two years. Um, but I think a lot of it is to do with imagination, imagination being kind of a pathway to a reality. And I think um, activism at that time um, focused around kind of preservation you know, I think when we look at what's happening today, there's a lot, a lot of activism, a lot of, it's a lot easier to mobilize people around overturning of things as opposed to the preservation of things. Um, and I think at that time, that's what captured my imagination was the preservation of this place that I remember my earliest memory of was walking there from school and our school tour was just to go and visit it. And we walked along the road, a class of 30 of us, um, 
So the place featured in my imagination, and then I suppose wanting to have a deeper connection with the natural world, or maybe feeling like I already did, is what led me to occupy there. Mm. Were there moments of um, fear in terms of if Gardaí turned up or people who maybe worked for any kind of authority, be that like council or corpo or, or local government, like were there moments where the place had to be defended, where you had to jump into action? Yeah, I mean, all along, there was a kind of a jovial rapport with the local guards. You know, they would come up routinely. We'd offer them a cup of tea. There would be chat and a bit of piss taken. Um, but yeah, I do remember a midnight, uh, well, kind of midnight, a late night raid um, when we all had to rush to the defences and being arrested and thrown in the back of vans and all that. And other times then when they would surprise us with, um, they come up with chainsaws and they'd start felling and you did literally had to put your body between uh, the chainsaw and the tree to stop the felling. So I guess because the occupation was so long, that wasn't an everyday feature. So you weren't living anticipation of it. Um, but it, it would arise then, yeah, that you have to do a action. Two years when you're a teenager in, in, in a place that is so specific um, is is feels like it would be a really formative thing. I know that I feel like this is a protest that is and an occupation and, and really a, a movement in some ways and a statement that is lost a little bit, even though it's so recent. How did it form you as a person beyond the occupation? I guess it gave me a sensibility of you just do, <laughs> you know, like um, if you want to, if you feel like you can affect a change, you may, you just, you, you do so. Um but beyond that, I think, if I put it like this, I moved to Cork two years ago. Cork's beautiful. And now after two years, I feel like I have a rapport with the city and the natural landscape around. But it hasn't been the same as when I returned to Wicklow and I see the Sugarloaf and I recognize it and I feel like it recognizes me in the same way that when I walk around Dublin, because I lived there for so long, I feel like the architecture is um, retelling my story and my relationship with that place. You know, it emanates those things. And I think my time living in such close proximity um, living immersed in the forest gave me not just appreciation of natural beauty, but an understanding that there is a specific uh, feel to places, that they, it, nature is not just one thing that you go out into, but that you can deepen your relationship with each place. And so I think that has formed in me um, a kind of a, a deeper understanding of time and relationship with place, if that makes any sense. Um, mm. How did you feel then when the result came in from the High Court that, that you had to leave? So this anecdote might sound like I'm making it up, but I remember... Um, that night, I was actually doing night watch. After that, that uh, result came through, and it was a really windy night. It got really stormy, and two trees fell down, uh, blocking both pathways into the forest from the car park. Um, and wow. kind of that's how I felt. That kind of summed up how I felt. I felt like I wanted to shut the place down to everyone. You know, um, it was heartbreaking. I guess also because of of being so young, I hadn't really 
thought far beyond what this campaign, what my life would be. So it coming to an end like that. Um, yeah, for my honest, it was, it, it kind of made me feel kind of disillusioned. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I haven't really, I haven't dwelled on, on, on that aspect of it for quite a while. Um, but that's interesting that you that you felt disillusioned afterwards. But at the same time, it must have instilled a a, a perspective that many people, well, the vast majority of people, just don't have in terms of how you move through the world after that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge the kind of uh, the emotional range of response. You know, it wasn't overall wasn't disillusionment. There've been many successes throughout the campaign. Um, like the original plan was to kind of eat into the slope and pin back the mountain, effectively cutting off the water table um, to that entire slope of the forest and killing off numerous rent trees. And as a, as a consequence of the court case, those plans had to be changed. So even though they did fell, the structure of the road didn't do as much damage as it would have originally. So there's many things to be grateful for. Um, I suppose I had ju- just... Uh, the vision had been to kind of uh, protect it all. So, yeah, disillusionment was a part of it, but um, that's not all it was. That yeah, that's not all it was. Hmm. You're you're a a proud Greystones head. When you think of Wicklow. What do you think of? I know when we were talking on the phone earlier, we were talking about the particular sensibilities of, of music that comes from Wicklow uh, being quite specific compared to other parts of the country. I don't know if I, <laughs> Greystones is an interesting place, in, or Greystones is interesting <laughs> in the context of Wicklow, isn't it? Because um, it has changed so much. Um, I mean, I guess when I think of Wicklow, I think of all those those places like I mentioned, you know, like the Glen of the Dans or like the Sugarloaf Mountain or there is a feel to the county um, that I don't know if I can translate into words, you know, those kind of feelings. Mm. Um, music, like Grey has always had a really active uh, live music scene. And then there's always, like actually in the Glen of the Downs is the Octagon. I don't know if you've ever been up there. And that was always a site like for free parties and people would love their sound system up there and have, have raised and there's always been a lot of um a little bit sort of a wildness and then a kind of diy vibe in wickler when it comes to music there's those people just making music there like t-walk automatic tasty those people just doing their own thing and have been for a long time even like the wickler town the punk scene there um but for me i suppose overwhelmingly the vibe of wicklow is um is finding those places where I feel like there's like non-human expressions of consciousness that dwell in the landscape. And that's where I feel very at home. Amazing, Dahi. Thank you so much for revisiting that time with us, because I know that it's like a precious time and a, and a, and a sacred place. And to share your experience of it, I think will be really inspiring for people. And um, yeah, to think about the trees were felled, but not the initial destruction uh, didn't come to pass. So well done to well, everyone who who sacrificed to be part of that. Yeah, I think everyone, I think, yeah, I mean, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Dahi. All right, cheers.
What's getting in the sea this week, Andrea? This week, it's a, just a small little get in the sea. Just capitalism in general. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, grand. Um, there was an article, there's been loads of articles, but basically billionaires increased their wealth by a quarter. So that billionaires increased their wealth by a quarter whilst millions of people around the world lost their jobs or struggling to get by on government schemes and just just that one sentence just really summed up to me in one line how the inequalities of this system are just so in bits now this is obviously i'm flat out reading uh less is more how degrowth will save the world at the moment by jason hickle which is fascinating so my capitalism in bitsness is flying in the sea and then that happens i'm like oh for fuck's sake how can we not take a moment to stop take stock and realize that this is an in-bit system and that it's killing half the world both environmentally and the people existing within so see you capitalism you can get in the sea (laughs) and what's oh oh not just getting no sorry (laughs) I'm just garbling now. Apologies. Obviously, after something gets in the sea, we then have It's Bananas! This week. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's just so brilliant. Uh, But it's just so bananas. It's basically, it's, I'm going to introduce it as the, I'm going to set the scene. We're, 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 it's a Monday night. We're watching TV Kate O'Connell, our pal of the pod, comes on in PPE and masks to do some vaccinations on the cast of Fair City on our political programme, Claire Byrne Live. <laughs> it's like, sorry, what? So that brings me to the bigger picture of all these in-studio mock-ups that they're doing, like the shop of how would you walk in through the door? Could you do an example of that? And then to the plane where it's like, how will we sit on a plane? To then they had this like weird sitting room set up at the, on Monday. And I think Claire Byrne is a really brilliant presenter. She's um, very clever. She's smart. She's she's cutting when she needs to be. And how the fuck is this program being reduced to this montage of these mock-ups that are just absolutely bananas? They're like, I, I actually like them. Well, I'm controversial, but I actually I I found the uh, Jab City segment very informative. You know, come on. Now I do have it in my fave bits as well. So I do like it as well, but I just can't comprehend how this is on our current affairs program on a Monday. And it just, I think it debases Claire's talents a little bit. It just is a bit like Scarlet. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I'm just going to do a counter non-banana to that. I actually like the, those random bits. There are other parts of that show that I do not like, but when it comes to the surrealism aspect. Yeah, but I you're like enjoy it. not for the reason it's there to be liked. You're liking it because it's absolutely bananas. It's like and the production values of it of how they're doing these mock-ups, it's like, sorry, did you spend five euro to make that? It looks so tatty. It's just no, no. It's absolutely, I think it's absolutely bananas. I I won't accept your anti bananas. I think we need to cut the, you know, people on that show some slack with regards to the work that they're doing at a very cha- logistically challenging time. That's what I feel. 
No, I'm sorry. It's in, it's bananas. Okay, okay. Well, you say it's bananas. You control the it's bananas uh, segment with your iron fist. But and- I will swiftly move into my fave bits. And my first fave bit is Kate O'Connell doing vaccinations on the cast of Fairfield. <laughs> so I, it is bananas, but I love it. Gotcha. I thought I thought Kate O'Connell did a very good job, actually. Yeah, she did. And like, I'm not like it's like it. Wo- it just feels like it's too much of a cross between Ireland AM and the Today Show with Mar- Mar- with Dahi and Mora. It's like, why is this on Clareburn? Anyway, I'm going to. I'm just going to move on. Um, I've made my case. Um, and my other fave bits quickly are Mariah Carey. Number one in the New York Times bestseller list with her new book. She is the queen of queens that we all need. And specifically for being asked when she was uh, asked if she was a diva. She's like, yeah, I am because I deserve to be. It's like, mm-hmm, Mariah, you get it, fucking girl. Um, also, my other fave bit is the new Supermodels documentary. Yes, yes. Cindy, Linda and Naomi um, are coming back to do a documentary. Um, I can't remember where it is, but like it's obviously going to be easy to find. Bravo maybe or something. I don't know. Anyway, sweating to see these uh, amazing women talk about their friendships, their careers, how they've grown, blah, 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 from such an iconic and visually arresting period of our history. I am going to be bad into it and the other thing I'm bad into is all the fucking ama- god I am cursing like a banshee here what is going on <laughs> um all the amazing bargains in hotels right now I am absolutely sweating for it I love hotels more than absolutely anything in the world there is nothing that brings me more joy than when you're lying in bed and room service comes and you get the little mini tomato sauce to go with your with your room service the dream and uh the Westbury one the number one hotel in the Condé Nast uh, Traveller uh, Awards or something. And they are the number one hotel in Ireland. And you can get deals for like, I think it was 200 euro for two people for bed and breakfast in the Westbury on a Saturday night. That is outrageous. And I know there might be someone listening going, sorry, does she, does she not run no more hotels? And I just want to put in there that yes, I do. And firstly, take don't take the bait because one, it says no more hotels. And two, if you're that small minded to think that you can't like hotels, a whole industry, a whole service because of the bad planning that is happening in our city that is seeing cultural spaces eradicated and uh, communities eradicated for nothing but profit of loads of hotels going up with nothing else going to keep the ecosystem moving. Well, then you need to get a grip. But that's just an aside. What are your favourite bits in it? My fave bits this week uh, were number one, a big week in September, the documentary that was on RTE about the schools going back. You can watch it back on the RTE player. I cried. I laughed. I just watched it. Like this is public service broadcasting at its best. I don't really have any relationship to schools. I don't have kids. Obviously, you know, there's kids in my family and stuff, my nieces and nephews, but I'm not encountering what it is like to be a teacher or to be a cleaner in a school or a secretary in a school um, or a parent or a child. (laughs) So... I don't have a clue about what the schools thing. Obviously, you know, you listen to all of the uh, political discourse and the and the media discourse and and people talking about the challenge that it presented and what they're going through. But I just thought it was such an amazing insight um, into the struggle to adjust for children, for teachers and principals and other staff in schools, and also the parents themselves. 
And uh, you just kind of look at these docs that Orti have been doing over the summer, which a lot of them have been really fantastic and how quickly they're turning them around and, and fair play to the docs unit in RTE there because it can't be easy to be turning around uh, docs of this calibre in such a short uh, space of time. And really all credit to them. And I just watched it thinking like, you know, there's so many amazing people like, you know, ordinary, exceptional, exceptional, ordinary, brilliant people um, who are just getting on with things and going through hard stuff and really working to to keep uh, education of young people in, in this country together. And I just thought it was an amazing insight to that. So if you get a chance to watch it, please do. It was really, really quality stuff. Um, my other fave bit, Ireland Music Week. Uh, there's been loads of gigs recorded, which you can watch online if you just Google or whatever your search engine is, uh, Ireland Music Week and check out some of the brilliant emerging uh, artists in this country. That is fantastic. Little gigs in your gaff there. And uh, my other fave bit is on Thursday, which is when we're recording the podcast this week. It's Dublin Digital Radio's fourth birthday. I absolutely adore DDR. For me, it's, I know I've mentioned it so much on, on this podcast, but it's such a brilliant, magical um, radio station broadcasting platform whatever you want to call it they have a Patreon please do support them and my favourite show on it if you want to listen to the archive of the shows my favourite show on DDR is a show called There's No Place Like Drone which is a lot of um, kind of abstract and experimental sounds and noise and uh, it's a really really amazing um, radio show so check that out so those are my fave bits um, and that was our county it, they're back the oh, counties are back back this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan and Castaway Media. Chris Leclerc gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. Thank you to Eva Gallagher who appeared in our bonus podcast this week. And of course, to Dahi revisiting that really interesting and seminal time in contemporary Wicklow history. You can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you've enjoyed listening, let us know. Or better, give us a review and tell your pals. If you have any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to look at for an episode now that the counties are back, drop us a mail or a DM. Andrea, what's the tuna chicken roll this week? So, uh, not many people, well, maybe people will know. We play uh, poker on a Sunday every week. And when we get down to the last five people in this game of poker, um, we, we, namely you, do a playlist and we all vibe off watching the last five battle it out to become the winner. Usually a time. Shout out to a um, But this week we didn't get a playlist. What we got instead was a full playthrough of the most wonderful album, which is Roisin Murphy's Roisin Machine. Um, we're not going to play the whole album as the Tuna Chicken Roll, much as I would like to, but I would like to pl- pick Narcissus from it because it, when you get to one minute in on that, there's this drop and every time I play it, I'm in the car with it really loud and I just imagine the feeling of being in a club and that drop dropping and oh, I'm even getting goosebumps now. It just makes me so excited for the future and when we can all be together on a dance floor again. So this week's Tuna Chicken Roll is Roisin Murphy, Narcissus. Which makes a lot of sense as a great Wicklow woman that she is. I've been Una Mullally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland and that was Wicklow. What happened to the people who lived in trees? We love you. 
Stay safe. Enjoy the October witchy magic. Just 